0: Go straight to the word. I want to ask you guys a question. Um, a couple of questions today. And before I, we get to the questions, I want to encourage you. Um, if you've been engaging with God through worship this morning and um, through the communion, as you heard and you've responded to what's been been declared and you've been going through these things in your own heart and you're just like, yeah, God, I'm 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 right with you today. I'm I'm here. I'm, I'm in your presence. Um because I'm always in your presence, then when the word's declared, I want to encourage you to begin to participate in the message that's coming forward. It's like a conversation in a sense. You know, I think the traditional sermon in a, is, is sort of uh, not dying out. I think it's beginning to change a little bit as the generations have started to change. And, um, so I want to encourage us as a church, because we're not the best at doing this, in giving feedback in a sense in the conversation. I want to ask you to start to participate in the in the conversation with the, the come ons. I heard one this morning already. With the Amen, that's a great word. With the you know, I can agree with that statement that Scripture's making about me. I can agree with what, what the Holy Spirit's saying to me now. So, Amen. I'm gonna receive that. Do you think we can do that and begin to just foster this this sense of hey? I'm participating in the conversation that I'm having with Jesus right now. That I want to take on board something that Jesus is saying to me through his word by the power of his holy spirit and in doing so I'm going to just say come on that's a good word and I want that to really resonate in my soul. So I want to invite you to do that this morning. It's a it's it's a it's a it's a freeing thing actually. You know, Jamie declared that we have freedom to to be able to say in response, amen, or to say, come on, or just say, yes, I agree, is actually freeing. Is saying, you know, I'm not just sitting there and being fed. I'm actually participating in the meal that Jesus is preparing for me and has is is presenting to me. Do you think we can do that? Yeah, there we go. This started already. That's good. That's good. So I've got two questions for us. We're on a, a journey of discovery, I believe. You know, as a church, I think we're we're really going through that, and today that's sort of a bit of my title is Journey of Discovery. And uh, my first question that I want us to ask and, and begin to just ponder over as you hear the scriptures this morning is why has God got us, Life Source Church, on a journey of discovering His love and grace? Why is it that right now, in the season that we're in, does love, grace, favor, Um, all of that, why is that coming up so readily right now this year? You know, you hear it spattered throughout the history if you've been here a long time, but why is the Holy Spirit sitting on this right now? Hopefully we can answer some of that today. Second question. How does God's love and grace help me today to overcome? And in overcoming What are we overcoming? I mean, by overcoming, what I actually mean is, how are we becoming more like Jesus and seeing His presence, His kingdom here on earth? Because isn't that the goal? If we're becoming more like Christ, then we're actually bringing more of His kingdom here on earth. So if that's the goal, then... How do I get there? And if there is a way for us to get more like Christ, then is the very linking thing His love and grace? So in the second question, we're actually answering the first question. Why is God sharing at the moment so much about love and grace? Which is answering the second question that says, because when you encounter love and grace, you actually encounter my presence. You actually encounter Christ here on earth. You actually encounter my kingdom through you that will influence the world around you. So we have two questions. Let's, I believe over the last month or so, we've been looking at this and we've been opening this up and I think we've been answering these as we've been going. But they are massive questions that we can actually spend the rest of our life here on this earth understanding because God's grace is so multifaceted, I don't think we'll ever understand in this lifetime. In articulating a question, it actually gives us the opportunity to respond. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't hear an amen with that one. Isn't it nice to actually know that you have peace with God? Come on. All right. You want me to preach on that one for a little while, and then we might get a few amens at that. It is good to know that you have peace with God, that the fullness of God's wrath was poured out when? On Jesus. Right. So the fullness of God's wrath is already done, appeased, is dealt with, it's done. And in fact, we'll find out a little bit later, was done since the foundation of the world, okay? So it's good to know that we have peace with God. If you can amen to that one, and all of a sudden you've just encountered the kingdom of God, and all of a sudden you've encountered light, and darkness has no right to be around you, all right? Amen. Come on, let's do this. (laughs) It's all good. I'll come on myself if you want. Anyway, verse 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All right? So that's what Romans 5, 1 and 2 says. Romans 5, I don't know if you've ever read it, but I encourage you to read it. It's, it's an intense piece of Scripture, and basically Paul is unpacking these first two verses right here for us. Why grace? Why now, we ask. What's going on? What is God trying to communicate to me so that I start to get it? This verse spells it out. By faith, we are justified, leading us to peace in God through that which only God could do. Through that which only God could do. You know, it's impossible to please God with your own merit in your own works, and your own understanding, is actually impossible. There's only one way we can actually please God, and that is through our faith. Because the Bible says to us quite clearly, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So there's only one requirement upon the people of God, and that is that we believe that He is God and that He sent Jesus Christ, His Son, in our place. And in doing so, in believing, in stepping out in faith, what actually happens is we god not by our own actions is actually pleased in god by what jesus did all right you're starting to get the picture here i believe when we encounter imagery or this imagery of the cross then we see our unrighteousness and our wayward heart from god and are impacted to believe jesus who was God himself, stepped into this world. He stepped into time. And in stepping into time, he chose to die. It would be foolishness for us to think that we killed God. Do you think uh, any human could have actually killed God? No. So in fact, God laid his life down for us. And in doing so, he's actually showing us Love. It's not just that he came, but it's that he laid down life to incorporate us. Love demonstrated causes the object of love to believe. Can you think through that one for a minute? Love demonstrated causes the object of love to believe. How do I know my wife loves me? He demonstrates it.. Yeah. So how do I know my God loves me? He demonstrates. He stands in the gap. He took my place. He died upon a cross. He took the fullness of his own judgment upon himself so that I could have freedom and peace, so that I could have life and liberty. You know like, however many ways you can say it, there's only one way, and that is, he demonstrated his love for me. So the love demonstrated actually causes the object of love to believe. Let me tell you, when you start sharing that kind of message with the world, maybe we might start having some success in our evangelism. Too often we're pointing people to the hatred side of evil, It's not God because he doesn't hate. Although he hates sin, we'll put that one into perspective because it robs us of our rightful position in him, right? But we put our fear onto people of a coming judgment and a coming hell and we wonder why we get laughed at because people don't believe in hell. But when we put it into the demonstration of Jesus upon a cross to die, all of a sudden there's something tangible and you get someone's attention. Okay, so hear what I'm saying in that. It's a very subtle shift. It's a very subtle change. But when people encounter the love of God, they will believe. Romans 5.17 spells this out for us simply and profoundly. Why then is God reiterating time after time the facets of his grace, favor and love? Paul says, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned Through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The more we hear grace, hear this, the more we hear grace, encounter grace, receive grace, release grace by faith, the more we overcome this world and reign as we are called to reign. The more we hear grace. Not the more judgment and condemnation that I hear that makes me want to work to please God. See, that actually causes me to withdraw from God and withdraw from His people and not participate in the family of God. The more I hear about his abundant grace and the love of God and and how much he does for me and has done for me, the more I hear of grace poured out, the more I begin to reign in life. Why is that? Because it's his favor at work in your life. The more I hear grace, encounter grace, receive grace and release grace, the more I overcome this world and I Reign in life. Can you say that to yourself? In your heart, the more I hear grace, the more I receive grace, the more I get, then the more I abound. That's what Paul's talking about here. Much more, he says, will those who receive the abundance of grace. It's not little bit of grace. Can you hear it? The words he says is abundance of grace. Not little bit. Abundance of grace. The more he hears, the more the man or the woman of Christ hears about the grace of God, the more he will reign in life. Let me give you an example. See if I can remember my example. For those of you who know me for a long time, I was once the youth leader of this church. Thank God he's risen up people around me to take that role. Not because I hated it, but because I loved it. (laughs) No, it's the truth. I loved it. But sometimes you've got to let that which you love go. All right? Okay, so those of you who know me understand me a fair bit. And there's been some observations I've made working with young people as I've watched them try to navigate the many trials in their life. Okay. I'm using young people because that's sort of where I've come from. Okay? So don't don't think I'm just favoring the young. Actually hear what I'm saying. I'm I'm using this as the example because this is what I've seen. In fact, many of these could have been avoided. There's things that they've had to learn that could have been avoided if the young people had what we call godly wisdom. Is that right? Yeah? Or if they'd encountered God's unconditional love through, you hear this? Other members of this body. Mm. Yet you can't tell a young person to wise up. Believe me, I've tried. I'm still trying. I have a 14-year-old who's almost 15. He keeps reminding me. It doesn't work, okay? Wise up just doesn't work. It doesn't go too well. In fact, what actually happens is the harder we lean on them, the more we try to encourage them, it seems the more that they actually rebel. Yeah, yeah, you got me. All the dads say amen. All right. I have noticed something though. The more I have pressed into the love of God and His grace, the more accepting of others I have become. Hmm? Because it is not their actions that make them acceptable. It is the very truth that God accepts them and dearly loves them that helps me love them. You get that? So it's actually about me and not about them or their behavior. And I think this is the heartbeat of God the Father. Because if I had to be right before I encountered Christ, then I never would have. Yeah? The more law and religion we try and force down their necks, the more they will rebel. We, in fact, actually drive them away from God. Yet the more like Christ we become, the more attractive we become and the more influence we get to guide, to love and to nurture, to encourage and call out that which Christ has put in their heart. Accountability is not about holding someone accountable to laws and precepts, but to who God has graced them and called them to be. This is the spirit of prophecy, by the way. It is to hold them accountable to as God sees them, not getting any amens about that one. Maybe that's a little bit hard for you to grab. All right. I'll say it again. Accountability is not about holding someone accountable to laws and precepts, but to who God has graced them and called them to be. Mm-hmm. So if we're holding someone accountable, it's actually accountable to God's picture of them. So I'll put it in this way. When your son or your daughter or some snotty-nosed little teenager comes up and gives you a little bit of grief, don't point the finger at them and tell them that they're wrong. Tell them that God loves them, God accepts them, and even in their trials and challenges, He's here right with them right now. And all of a sudden, you'll start to see a change in them because they will be able to trust you, to hold them accountable to God's words in their life and not their own or the worlds whom they're so trying to impress. Because they're trying to find their way around, aren't they? We're all like that. We're trying to find our way in life. We're trying to find where we fit in this world. But in fact, if you've encountered Jesus, newsflash, you don't fit in this world. Okay? You don't. So the place you actually fit is in the kingdom of God, and the place that... You find the kingdom of God is with God's people, therefore, the, the place you do fit is here in the body of Christ. So, the more you actually tell someone they have to be somewhere, the more they say, Well, I don't have to be there, and they walk away. But if they encounter the love of God in that place and they encounter the, the, the world that God has created for them to be in that place, which is His kingdom come now, then the more they will want to be in that place. I know that's true of my life. I used to play football. Um, and when I came back to Christ, because I'd had my teenage years as well, and some of you know that story too well. My parents are sitting just here. Um, I had my teenage years. And, and when, I was married, when I got married at 19, I, I, I made this decision to come back to Jesus and, and like repent because that's what I was told I had to do. But in fact, I'd never actually left Jesus because he'd never left me. I was just trying to find myself. And when I found myself, it was actually not in the football. It was not in the, the the drinking. It was not in anything that I was trying to do. I found myself here in this place. And I found who God called me to be in this place. And out of that place, I have found joy. Out of that place, I have found fulfillment. Out of that place, I've actually found purpose for my life. So the more we reject God's drawing us to the body of Christ, the more we're actually saying, God, I don't want that. I don't want you. I don't want any of that. So I can stand here and by law tell you, you should come to church because God tells us to not forsake. But that's not what you need to hear. What you actually need to hear is that God's drawing you into his presence, into his fullness, into that purpose with which he's called you. And the more we run from that, it just shows that we've encountered too much negativity coming from the law, coming from people telling us what we must and have to do. To do. Make sense? Yeah? So, so before we tell our teenagers they need to wise up and then they need to grow up and then they need to wipe their nose and they need to do all these sorts of things, maybe what I have to actually do with my son is tell him that I love him. Yeah? And I'm proud of him. Maybe there's fathers in this church that need to start telling some people that they love them. And in fathers, I'm being inclusive, okay? I'm also including mothers in that. I'm using the spiritual term fathers, which is mature in Christ. Maybe there are some maturing Christ people here that need to just start telling people that we love you because God loves you. And in doing so, we will encourage those who are less mature in faith. Put it in those terms for us. It was that shift that actually caused me to see some of these young people rise up and to start to minister. I'm sure there's a few here that are going, yep, that's about right. Yep. That's why we've got a great youth team now. It's not about me. It's about them seeing who God's called them to be. All right, and we have the privilege of partaking in that. Paul says it this way, Romans 5, eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not before we wised up, not before we became accountable to any laws or bylaws that are held by a church, Not before we became perfect, but while we were still engrossed in the mess of our sin, Jesus died. That is grace. That is love. That is our God. This leads me to this whole sin thing. You've heard me say that to God, sin is now not the issue. You've heard me say that before. If you've been hanging around me enough, you'd hear it quite a lot. Sin is not the issue to God. In fact, I actually believe sin wasn't the issue. Now that's a bold statement to say. Hmm, I will. I'm going to give you some scriptures to back it up. I think sin was our issue and not God's. See, sin separated us from God didn't separate God from us. Or else Adam and Eve wouldn't have known God outside of the garden. Or else Adam and Eve wouldn't have had children. Adam and Eve wouldn't have had a family. Their family wouldn't have continued to have more families and God wouldn't have found his people in the Hebrew people. There's plenty of sin in the Hebrew people. We can read many, many stories about their sin, but yet God was still for them. So actually sin, and this is the boldest statement I think I've ever made from this platform, was our problem, not God's. Okay, Hold me up and call me a heretic if you like, but it was our problem. We did it. It caused us to separate from God and it caused us to die. So... Sin is not the issue, and it never actually was in God's eyes, because from the foundation of the world, Jesus had already died. Jesus was no plan B of God's. Don't you think God knew that Adam was going to eat of that fruit? If God is outside of time, then didn't he already know what his creation was going to do? So to say that Jesus was a plan B was actually incorrect. Jesus was always the plan A. Calvary was actually the manifestation of God's wrath poured out onto Jesus for you and I, for all of creation, which was actually achieved before the beginning of time. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Ephesians four says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Before Jesus, before God actually formed you in your mother's room, He chose you to be holy, blameless, and to stand before Him. Before you sinned, before you were born into sin, He had already chosen you before the foundation of the world. Are we getting it? In talking about the Sabbath, the writer of Hebrews writes in 4.3, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God was a little bit angry by the sound of that. yeah. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, the, the writer of Hebrews is actually encouraging us, hey, Jesus has done it. There is a rest and it's not held on one day. It's an actual eternal rest. It's found in Jesus Christ. And when you enter into it, you will enter into that rest. Rest not from your work. Rest from the judgment of God from which I have established since the foundation of the world. Okay, we get it like the foundation of the world. Jesus had already done this. Hebrews 9, 26 says, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Why? Because if his if his sacrifice wasn't good enough, then once a year he would have to be sacrificed again. Thankfully, we're not under the law, or else Jesus would have to suffer again for me. Thankfully, I'm not under the law, or else Jesus next year would have to suffer again, because you know what? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes every single day. But his... I do, definitely. His... (laughs) <laughs> Trust me, just ask my son, remember? We were just having that conversation. But yet Jesus died once for all. Did it actually say there that Jesus died once for the Christian? Mm. All. So his sacrifice is actually good enough for all. All. All people. All people. And we have the privilege of inviting all people to that understanding. I'll keep reading that passage. since I'll start it again. Verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How can, we, how can this be? Like My mind does not understand this in any way, as Jamie said in communion. I cannot grasp this foundation of the world statement. I actually can't. And in myself, I can't grasp the statement that I made that Jesus or that, that sin's not the issue. But in him... I begin to understand this because God is eternal, is he not? God exists outside of time. Time is this start and end. He does say I am the Alpha and Omega. Yeah, we get that. But he exists outside of that. Yeah? If God exists outside of that, therefore he knows the beginning from the end. He's actually at the end now. Like get that. He's there. He's actually he was there when I was nine and a half and I said yes to him. I saw the light and I was set free. He he was there at nineteen when when I was playing footy and I still was not sure whether I was saved or not saved. He's here today as I'm speaking to you and maybe saying something wrong. Ooh, imagine that. <sighs> he was there before I was nine and a half and actually saved. He was there. He was there. So if he was there, was he there in the midst of my sin? Yes. Based on what Jesus had done before the foundation of the world, and also based upon my future confession in him. Therefore, the people that you're witnessing to need to encounter grace. Like, I'm just explaining it to you. They might be lost in some pretty rough choices in their life. But if they're actually saved in Jesus, then aren't we just then holding them accountable to what God said about them already? Isn't Jesus already as it says in Hebrews 9, appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself. 1 Peter 1 says, He who foreknew, or he who he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. So your job is actually to make manifest the Person Of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard. Because you've heard of the time that God was manifest for you. You've heard of the time that He died upon that cross. You've heard of the time and you put your faith in that. Your neighbor may not have yet heard that. And you're called to be the manifest presence of Christ to that person so they too can put their faith in the love of God and in the grace of God. I think I'm getting a little confused here. Is that right? Because I'm not getting any yeses anymore. Mm-hmm. So Jesus existed before time as God, as the Word of God, and as the Son of God, outside of time, because time also as He is not bound by time. Isn't that what I just said? Yep. So if He's not bound by time, then He's not actually bound by the laws of this time. Mm-hmm. Okay. If our first response to someone is, You must Repent coming from a place of religious bigotry, then we truly haven't understood the cross, the grace of God and his acceptance of us as his sons. I confess my wrongdoing and I repent to God because God has forgiven me, not in order that God would forgive me. You want to know how to break the cycle of sin in your life? I believe that's the statement that will help you. How can we continue in sin in our life, knowing full well that a good and gracious Father has already forgiven me in the middle of doing that thing? I don't know. How can we? But if I think about it this way, which is obviously how a lot of Christians would think about this, I've sinned, I must go and repent so I can get back into favor with God. God, I'm on my knees, I'm sorry. Please help me not to do it again. And I go back over here and I do the exact same thing again. This is the trouble that Paul had in, in Romans chapter 7. And then he comes back to here and he's like, God, I'm sorry, I can't do this. My flesh, it's weak. And then he goes back over here and he's like, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Oh, I've tripped up again. That's right. Yeah? So with that kind of thinking, with that kind of thinking now, not that you need to get forgiveness because you've sinned, but because you've already been forgiven, we repent, which means to turn away, which means to do a one eighty, which means to change the way you think. Hebrews four fourteen to sixteen says this since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You want to know how to overcome sin in your life? Now, I'm not talking about the sin that has, you, that has you separated from God, that has you outside of salvation. I'm talking about those things we do every day. I'm talking about those things that are not godly in our lives. I'm talking about those things that do not shine the light of Jesus out of my life. And we know we all have some of those that we just got to overcome. Is that right? Okay. So if you want to know how to overcome them, the only way to overcome them is your faith that Jesus, being the high priest, knows full well that which you are being tempted in, knows full well that you need grace and favor to overcome those things. And in doing so, in your agreement with him, you step into the reality that you are already forgiven and you will encounter the throne of grace and you will receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. So what we tend to do as Christians is we go and we play a little bit with the things that we know are not good for God, but they tend to have something that has some sort of flesh control over our body. We, we really like it, like gluttony, for one. I really like to eat. Okay? And, I, and I'll toy with the eating a fair bit, as you can tell. But if I've got the mentality that I can just come over here and ask God to forgive me, then who is God? He's just the guy that forgives me of my wrong so I can go back and do wrong. That's a pretty weak image of God. It also doesn't help me because it actually communicates to me at a subconscious level that it's okay. I can sin. I can get away with it because I can just go and ask God for forgiveness later on. So if you tick me off, I'm going to knock you out and then I'll go and ask Jesus to forgive me. Is that right? Right. Like, I'm sure some of us Christians have said that once or twice. Like Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but I'm going to turn around and knock you out in a minute because you're just getting on my nerve. Seriously, guys, this is how we think. It's okay because I can just come back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Well, you actually never stepped outside of his forgiveness. Radical thought right there. But when you encounter the fact that He gives you grace, because His throne is grace, and He actually not just gives you grace, but mercy. You might have heard me say that mercy is receiving, is not receiving everything you deserve. So in a just in a justice sense, I deserve death, but I received mercy because Jesus took upon Himself the death. I didn't Get the death that I actually deserved. And grace is the opposite in the sense that it's receiving everything you don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness even when I'm in the middle of the thing that I'm doing wrong. But if I actually sat there and said this, let us with the confidence draw near to the throne room of grace. I'm in the middle of whatever it is I'm doing wrong. Whatever it is that's got control in your life. And I'm like, Okay, I need God's grace right now. I don't feel it. This food tastes pretty good. But I've got God's grace now. And if I press in, I'm going to receive mercy and I'm going to receive grace, which is the favor of God to overcome that which we are being tempted with. Is in the middle of that you would have heard me say that we actually got to start to speak, that we have the mind of Christ. If I've got the mind of Christ, I'm not going to do the things that disrupt the mind of Christ. It's a grace thing to say, I'm overcoming this, instead of saying, okay, God, it's me again. I just got this real pain of condemnation in my heart. I've mucked up again. But he deserved it. I smacked him in the mouth. Like, seriously... I will only find victory when I bring Jesus into the wrong that I'm doing. When I find Jesus in the middle of that, and he's saying to me, It's okay, you've got grace, you've got favor. Guess what? I'm now yuck. That is disgusting. I don't want anything to do with that. And I walk away from it because Jesus has led me out of it. It happened to me with swearing, guys. If you know me, you knew me before I came back to church. I, used to, I had a real bad mouth at work. I used to work with a guy who's had a mouth, had, his every second word was the F word. Literally, and he knows who I'm talking about. Every second word. I, I could repeat it for you if you like, but it just doesn't sound good. It's horrible. And I was sort of hanging around him a fair bit because we worked together, and all of a sudden my mouth was a lot like that. And I could control it around my mother because that's the way my dad brought me up. <laughs> so I had a really nice mouth around my mum, but in the end, I let a couple out in front of mum and didn't I feel guilty. All right? The day I re-encountered Christ in a real way, it was grace that caused me to drop that thing because it was detestable to him. And And I accepted the fact that it was detestable to him and that he'd given me the grace to overcome that and he'd given me power. In the middle of that, he started to give me power. I then overcome it. And thank God I haven't sworn for a long time times I've wanted to, because sometimes you just need to have a good old F-bomb sometimes, you know what I mean? That's what you feel like on the inside. You're like, no flesh, get back down again. But really, grace is actually that you've overcome that. You've overcome that. I need to finish. I need to finish because you guys have gone quiet. I don't know how to wrap this up. I don't know how to land the plane, guys. Yeah, I I, shut, I did that already and I thought of food. So maybe that'll finish it off. All right. Let me say this. Repentance then is agreement with God. It is a return to who we are from the beginning. What Jesus paid for and how he sees us. It is a return to the penthouse, to the palace, to the place of favor. Repentance is actually not about seeking God's forgiveness. It's actually about returning to who God has called us to be. And when we find ourselves in the penthouse, when we find ourselves in the favor of God, when we find ourselves in the place that God has placed us and called us from the beginning of time, I don't want to participate in those things that upset God anymore. So it's not about overcoming sin it's actually about overcoming your own thinking and realizing that god is calling you to be accountable for who he's called you to be which is his son his daughter his king his priest the love of his life the one he pursues the one he's given his son to die for on the cross the one who he's put his holy spirit into and if he's done all that for you And he's elevated you to a place of favor in his sight. Because Jesus, didn't he say, I'll go and prepare a room for you? Doesn't Paul say that we're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? So therefore, if we're seated in that high place in the penthouse, then we don't really want to mess around with those things. And therefore, the moment you feel tempted to play around with the things that you shouldn't be playing around with is the moment you actually need to draw close to the throne room of grace Say, God, I need you because I'm running away from that. Because in that is no favor. In that is no grace. In that is the condemnation of the devil that will pull me down. I think I've landed the plane. What do you reckon? I see it this way. I had another scripture there, but I don't need to say it. I see it this way. Maybe you should all stand to your feet. I think we've got this image that Jesus had a little trickle of blood on the cross. I think we've got this image that that little bit of blood was enough. But the Bible actually shares with us that it was the fullness of his blood that was poured out, all of his blood. I think, I think we fail to forget that in, in the heavenly respect, it was his blood that was poured upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, that which is holding over us and therefore declaring to God continually that we are righteous and holy before him because it's based upon Jesus' blood, not upon our own. So if it's the case, then it's the blood that keeps us free. It's the blood that has paid for that price. It is the blood of Jesus that, that was poured out for all humanity. I think we got this image that it was only a little bit of blood, but let me tell you, it's probably more like the fact that in our heart, in our, in our mind's eye, we should start to begin to see that it's like Niagara Falls. There's just a continual flowing that never ends. And when we walk away from God or when we step into this place where we're not pleasing unto God because of our own actions, we actually need to step into the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus, which is continually being poured out for you. If it was done at the start of time, then it's even now effective now. And then in his spirit, if we see it like the pouring out of rivers of living water, as Jesus would say, then it's more like this unending flow of the waterfall. I don't know how much water's in Niagara Falls, but I know it's a lot. If there's that much water in, and you relate Jesus' blood to that much and therefore anyone can step into that at any time, then all of a sudden we've got a great picture of Christ and a great picture of God's love. And I think today maybe some of us need to encounter the light of God and the love of God in the way that they need to step into the cleansing flow of Jesus' blood. So I'd ask you just to bow your your heads and close your eyes right now. And if you've want to encounter the love of Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. Because Jesus' blood was enough for all. And in your heart, all you need to say is, yes, I agree with that. Yes, I believe. And therefore, I receive salvation. I'm saved to be set free. I'm saved to overcome. I'm saved to be a light unto this world, as Jesus has called me. And right now, in my heart, if this is you and you want to participate, in this which we call the life of Christ, I just ask you in your heart, say right now in my heart, I agree, I say amen, I say yes. I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes to you, Jesus. I say yes to you, Jesus. Because your life is more important. Your resurrected life is only is that which calls me forward. Your kingdom here and now is the mandate you have given me, and I accept your death upon the cross. I thank you, Jesus, that you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died in my place, that you received the wrath of God, and I received the favor of God. I thank you that on the third day you rose again, Jesus. I thank you who rose into power. And I thank you that your resurrected power, the same spirit that rose you from the dead, now rises me from the dead, that I am born again, free, that I have received mercy and grace, that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I believe that you are my Lord and my Savior. I ask for your grace upon my life, not just to forgive me of sins, but empower me to move forward to see your kingdom here and now. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just confirm that into their hearts now, I pray. That they are saved, holy, righteous before you. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. Hallelujah. God, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, those of us that have been struggling with different things in our lives right now, we just give them to you. Maybe... Just as an act of that, maybe you just want to take and just hand it to God in, in the physical sense. Just give it to God and say, God, please take this from me. I want your mercy and grace. I want to overcome. I don't want to be known by what I do. I want to be known by who I am and who you've called me to be. We call out that which you see in us now, Lord God, that which is grace, that which you have paid for, that which you have prophetically spoken over each of us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would confirm in our hearts that image that you see of us even now. I ask for visions. I ask for confirmation. I ask, Holy Spirit, right now for grace. Lord, those people that are here that are just saying that, you know, I haven't quite encountered the love of God. Lord, I pray that right now in Jesus' name they would receive that they would just feel the warmth of heaven in their lives. Do something in their hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, that that confirms in them, not by emotion, but confirms in them that you are for them and not against them. We thank you for your love. And just as I encounter love on this earth, Lord God, I can encounter love in you. And I receive that, we receive that in Jesus' name. Thank you for your favor and grace you poured out upon us. Help us to walk as children of light, just as you are in the light. We give you glory and we give you honor and we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done here today. And we go, Lord God, in the faith and the full knowledge that you are with us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you, Lord, that everything we put our hand to will prosper. Because your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, if you in the first time have ever agreed, have ever said in your heart, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, then I want to hear from you today. Don't walk out those doors. Don't leave.